I look over and the Steiner brothers are torturing this referee. I mean, torturing <laughs> him, stretching him, bending him, squeezing him, breaking him. Welcome, welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves, and this week I have upgraded. You may be used to the dulcet tones of the voice of NXT 2.0, Vic Joseph. Vic is out of here this week, but don't worry. It's even better than Vic, much better than Vic. Hall of Fame worthy. He is a member of the WWE Hall of Fame. He is the star of the 83 Weeks podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. Hopefully this one as well. A man who truly needs no introduction, but I'm giving him one anyway, Eric Bischoff. Eric, welcome to the show. Corey, it is always great to hear your intros. And the last time I heard one, you were letting me know that I was being inducted into the Hall of Fame on this very show. So it this was. is like, this is full circle stuff we got going on here. It really is. It feels like a million years ago. I was, I was lucky enough to break the news to you. You were inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. Here we are. Full disclosure to everybody listening. We were recording this Less than 24 hours before the kickoff to the most stupendous two-night WrestleMania in history. I appreciate the time. I've got to ask. You're a guy. You've been around this business for a long time. You have seen and done essentially everything there is to do from every facet, from every aspect. You've been a talent with WWE. You have been an executive with WCW. You've been behind the scenes with WWE. What does WrestleMania mean to you this deep into your career, and particularly from this perspective? It's always been the biggest event of the year for this industry. Mm -hmm. And it's getting bigger and bigger every year. And I think one of the things that I really appreciate now, seeing just what a media monster this event has become globally, is how significant the WWE has become to this industry um, over the last 20, 30 years. It's, I look at what's going on here. I walk into this hotel to do this podcast with you. I see everything that's happening from a production point of view. And I'm, I'm still amazed, man. I'm like a little kid. Every time I walk in to a WWE event like this, I'm amazed. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, 
all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Starts for me the minute we got off the plane in Dallas and I got to baggage claim and there's Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair. This, this giant poster, you get to the bus stations in downtown Dallas and there's WrestleMania and the, the billboards all over the place driving down the highway. It's grown into an epic monster in entertainment to where it is now two nights. It's out of necessity where once upon a time, historically, WrestleMania was one night. It was the biggest night of the year. There's just so much now, and people are finally able to come back. The, the pandemic has eased down enough to where mm. now we have the fans from around the world, which is what we've been missing these last two years. Right. What what has been your initial reaction being able to mingle with the members of the WWE Universe and even beyond? There's wrestling events all throughout Dallas, all centered around WrestleMania. This year, you've, you, you told me before we started recording, you're here with your son. You're kind of taking it all in. What's been that experience? What has that experience been like since then? And that's another thing that I really am becoming more grateful for as I get older and I come to these events. I guess my status or my role is different now than it was when I was really active. And it's really more from a perspective of just being grateful. You know, I get to come to these events and people still recognize me because of the Peacock Network primarily. (laughs) I've got wrestling fans that weren't even born when I was doing my stuff in WCW. But just... The fan base for WWE, the universe, is so loyal. They love this product so much. And what's really cool for me is to to talk to people who bring their kids. And the reason they bring their kids is because their parents brought them to wrestling events when they were kids. It's such a multi-generational experience um, that most people enjoy and and and. And I think when they look at WWE and the entertainment that it provides, it reminds them of the best parts of their childhood. Or, And it's just fun to hear those stories. I Man, I hear so many great stories. I, I am one of those stories. I, I just did three hours of media, you know, here at the, the WrestleMania press junket. And I told the story four or five times, but I grew up a fan because my dad was a fan. My mm-hmm. dad still is a fan. And I get asked oftentimes where my influences in commentary come from. And it was Bobby Heenan, Jesse Ventura, the greatest of all time, but I think subconsciously what drew me to those two was they made my dad laugh. So yeah. I think somewhere in my in my brain, there's some subconscious thing that thinks, well, that made my dad happy. There's some inner Isn't feelings. That cool? that, yeah, it's really that's wild. That's awesome to think about. And I didn't think about it like that until I was saying it out loud. And I was like, man, maybe that maybe that's why. Maybe that's how deep this connection is. Maybe that's why I'm so passionate and, and drawn to this business because from my earliest days, I remember wrestling. Wrestling was always on. You, your son Garrett obviously grew up with you being in a, yeah, he, yeah, bit of a but, different position. It wasn't yeah. sitting on the couch watching. You were running right. the, the competition at the time. When you look at, at where WWE is now compared to when you were trying to take down the giant, when you were running WCW, did you ever in a million years imagine that business would be this big? No. No. In the moment. You know, when you, if you go back to 97, 98, you know, the wrestling – industry, the sports entertainment industry, if you will. We can still say wrestling on can this you, podcast. On yeah. this podcast? Oh, my God. I'm waiting for somebody to go, hey, pal, take this mic away from him. Damn it, anyway. It's not professional wrestling. <laughs> we only get yelled at for that on Mondays and Fridays. You know, I thought it was at its peak then, and it was. Right, then. right. But in the moment, you know, on that treadmill, living that experience on a day-to-day basis, I never thought it would get bigger than that. 
And here we are miles and miles and miles ahead of where we were mm-hmm. back then. And I never would have imagined it, you know, and it, you know, a lot of it is, you know, the evolution of technology streaming, right? Nobody knew that streaming would exist back then, but it does. And it's had such an amazing impact on WWE and in the universe. It's allowed for so much growth globally and it's just so much fun to watch. It, it's, it's people consume everything differently now to your point, the streaming thing. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people get lost in the numbers, particularly now. And I know when it was the Monday night wars, WCW versus WWE, it was your measurements were your ratings right. and it was how many households. And I, I listened to 83 weeks pretty religiously. So, so anybody who's listening to this, who hasn't checked out Eric's podcast, 83 weeks, get it wherever your podcasts are available. I can't pretend to be as skilled as Conrad. I have to give Conrad love because <laughs> I'm sure he'll check this out. I, I love Conrad dearly, but this generation of fans, particularly on the internet and everyone likes to, to argue their opinions mm-hmm. and compare and contrast in this versus that. People don't consume things the way they did back in the 90s when you had to watch television. You had to sit down and make an appointment. Now you can binge watch things. Do you think that the quality of what is taking place at times gets lost because people are so caught up in numbers? I don't think the quality is lost because people are consumed with numbers. I think the quality, if it's been diluted at all, is just because of the sheer amount of volume of content okay. that's produced. Right. You know, think back to WWE or even WCW circa 1992-1993. There were four pay-per-views a year. Right. So you had, you know, 3 months to build story and characters leading into a big event. Now you got 3 weeks, right? And everything happens faster. People have been conditioned to consume their entertainment faster. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's a 15-second commercial on YouTube that used to be a one-minute commercial on television, you know, everything comes at you so much faster and from so many different angles. And I think in order to keep up with it and feed the monster that that WWE has become, a global entertainment media monster, but you've got to feed that monster, and you have to feed it a lot, and you have to feed it quickly. And I think if anything has changed the creative or the product, it's just the sheer volume. So what you're saying is that since people don't sit down and watch TV by appointment like they used to, no. and there is so much, is it is it a necessary evil that we don't necessarily get the slow burn long-term storylines that we Absolutely. were used to? Absolutely. You can't do it anymore because you'll lose that audience. If you don't, if you don't, you've got to keep up. You've actually got to be a little bit ahead of them in terms of your pace and delivering that content. Because if you slow down and you become slower than their desire to consume that content or be entertained by it, you'll lose them. So you've just got to speed up the creative process. But in the long run, I think that that has affected the product from a storytelling perspective. Talk to me a little bit more about that. Explain how it's affected, positively or negatively. It's hard to say whether it's positive or negative because obviously the business has grown so much from a financial perspective. Sure. So it, you can't argue that the business is financially more successful today than it's ever been in history. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a fact. But in terms of the quality of the story, because the pace at which it's delivered and the pace at which stories have to build, it's a lot harder to have a slow build in an act one leading to a conflict in act two and then eventually a resolution in act three. The more time you have, the more detail you can use to tell that story. The more subtle a story can be and still keep the audience engaged. Now you got to give it to them 
The beginning yeah, and the middle and an end has to happen in a three-week window. Right. It's pretty fast-paced. Yeah, definitely. It's easy to get caught up in the bubble of the hardcore wrestling fan. We exist in this bubble. I mean, despite being employed by WWE, I'm still ultimately a fan. Do you think we are truly the minority as far as who's consumer uh, who's consuming this product right now? As far as the people who look back and go, it's not like it used to be. Oh, this used to be better. Never, nothing's like it used to be. Music isn't like it used to be. Right. You know, sitcoms aren't like they used to be. The NFL is not like it used to be. Baseball is not like it used to mm -hmm. be. The rules change to accommodate for television. Trying to make the games faster. Trying, trying to, to make the games faster. It's the same thing that's happening, you know, in sports entertainment. You have to deliver the product faster, just like they have to play the game faster in the NFL. How have you been able to keep this perspective throughout your career? I mean, anyone who's listening to this who isn't aware, I mean, Eric, you started off in the wrestling business as an announcer. Obviously, your resume has spoken for itself since. But how have you been able to maintain perspective while running WCW or while being in charge of, of creative here in WWE? Uh, you, you are very open about how you're a TV guy first and you're an entertainment guy. How have you maintained that without getting lost in the bubble, so to speak. I, oh, I've been lost in the bubble several times. I've bounced around inside of that bubble, banging my head on stuff that I didn't know existed. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> I think if I have a perspective, it's a perspective that I've been able to gain by being away from it. Okay. But while I was in it, um, I probably had a good instinct, but my perspective was often wrong. And, and I had to learn the hard way. It seems like such a an odd, not odd, but grandiose transition from being a TV announcer, uh, unlike Vince, who actually had a stake in his company while he was, quote unquote, just a TV announcer. But you, you made this rise to where you were running WCW, and then you eventually made your way to WWE. Walk me through that process, and why were you able to differentiate yourself from just being a TV announcer to where people were respecting and receptive of your ideas? I was really aggressive, you know, when I was younger. And th there was a point in time, you know, was, when I was hired by WCW as an announcer, I was a backup announcer. It was a backup to the backup of an announcer of the announce team. I was there to back clean up. But I was grateful for that job. And I, I loved that job. I loved the business. I loved professional wrestling when I was a fan growing up in Detroit. When I finally was able to break into the business, something that I never anticipated or aspired to, it was really just coincidence and mm -hmm. timing, uh, I thought, my gosh, this is the greatest thing in the world. I, I'm, I'm not only in the television business, I get to work in the wrestling business. And I developed a love affair with it. So by, by the time I got to WCW, I, I still had the passion as a fan. But by that point, I felt like that was my career. And that was part of who I was. Got the opportunity to kind of break into management. And I think it was the combination of my passion and at that point in time, I was a pretty aggressive personality. And I think if anything else, that's what stood out to the people above me that gave me that opportunity. Well, obviously, in the years since you made that transition, you've carved out a Hall of Fame-worthy resume. I want to talk to you for a minute about the WWE Hall of Fame, mm -hmm. which is going down in a matter of hours right now as we record this. The Undertaker, the headliner, the greatest sports entertainment character of all time? No doubt. No doubt. And it's always hard. You know, I was asked that same question earlier in a radio interview, you know, of the three, I think it was Undertaker, Hulk Hogan, and Steve Austin, which is the biggest star? Well, you know, you got to qualify that stuff. Right. You know, I, I think if you look at the Undertaker, his impact on this industry, the longevity 
that he had. That's most impressive. No one has a 30-year career in anything. No. Let alone something as physical and time-intensive as sports entertainment. At the level that he played and the impact that he had, how do you not give him the nod for that role? Well, if you're just counting dollars, you're going to go to The Rock because who's made more money in this industry than The Rock? But if you're going to talk about who had the most significant impact on the industry in the early stages of its amazing growth, how do you not pick out Hulk Hogan? Agreed. So it's a tough one. It, and it comes is. down to personal preference. And I think for me, when I look at, when I heard The Undertaker was going on, first of all, it wasn't a surprise, right. you know, to anybody that, you know, is aware of The Undertaker and his relationship with WWE. But I thought, man, this is going to be the coolest one. They're all cool. And I'll be honest with you, Corey, WrestleMania weekend is an amazing weekend. Everybody loves it for different reasons. Me personally, I've always loved the Hall of Fame portion of WrestleMania weekend the most because the emotions are real, the respect, the fact that guys get up on that stage and they're being respected by their peers is a very special moment. I just, I live vicariously through every one of them. Would you think it's safe to say that it is one of the most real, authentic nights of the year in our business? In its own way, I do. Because there's no storyline, man. Yeah. There's no, there's nobody's working hard for an outcome. Right. Everybody, it's, to me, it's, it's a celebration of what you've done and that's when it becomes real. It it does. It's, you're not jockeying for position. You're not worried about what's next. It is kind of, okay, I did this thing and here are my peers and the world acknowledging me on And that's the magic for me. Again, everybody has their own different take on things. But even when you called me, when you and Eva called me last year, I'm not going to lie to you, man. I kind of suspected, Mm -hmm. you know, Perhaps, maybe, and even before that, years before that, every time WrestleMania would come along, people would, you know, my podcast or social media, whatever, yeah, are you going into the Hall of Fame this year? So I, I can never say I wasn't ever thinking about it. That mm-hmm. would be untrue. But even when you call me, I kind of went, oh, they want me to do, this is kind of, this is unusual. But yeah, I'll do that. I wonder if, but when the, when you said the words, when the when it went from, I wonder if, maybe, when, to it's happening. If I allow myself to think about it too much right now in this moment, I'll start to get weepy again. That's how magic that moment was for me. And I don't think I'm unique in that respect. Is it it's a sense of validation? Like all accomplishment. The work? Accomplishment? Yeah. Validation, accomplishment. I guess it's the same thing. It's it's being recognized by your peers. I don't think you could be a driven professional and not desire that recognition from your peers. Definitely. I don't know how you do that. Uh, I, I couldn't do it. I would agree with that for sure. For sure. Uh, two other guys getting their recognition this year, Rick and Scott, the Steiners. How obviously. awesome is this? Incredible. Shocking to many who, who if, yeah. you, if you know the behind the scenes and all the, the stuff that the internet's fascinated with, it seems a little more surprising than many inductees of, of days past. But Rick and Scott Steiner, absolutely belong in the WWE Hall of Fame for their contributions. You got to work closely with them more so than their time in WWE and in WCW. What are some of your favorite memories that are appropriate for public consumption (laughs) of Rick and Scott Steiner? (laughs) Well, shortly after I joined WCW in 91, it might've been my very first pay-per-view actually. I think it was Halloween Havoc at uh, the University of Tennessee in Chattanooga, I think. 
And I showed up. Everything was new to me, right? I didn't know any of the talent. Everything was new. Everything was exciting. You know, I was intimidated by most of it. And at that pay-per-view, we had to use the wrestling mat room where the amateur wrestling okay. team practiced as our dressing area. Okay. And I show up, and I find a corner back away from everybody because I was intimidated and just wanted to keep my head down, keep my job, not upset anybody, mm -hmm. right? And I'm in there, you know, in the corner dressing and getting ready, and I look over, and the Steiner brothers are torturing this referee. I mean, torturing <laughs> him, stretching him, bending him, squeezing him, breaking him. And so they got tired of that, and they wrapped him up like a mummy in gaff tape and left him in the corner. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> I can't wait to work with these two guys. That was my first impression of the Steiner brothers. And I, I, subsequently, I went on to become really good friends with Rick. Rick and I took, took a, a really um, a very special uh, hunting trip up to the Yukon, just south of the Arctic Circle. One year. Okay. Had to fly in on float planes and do the whole thing. And we were up there for 10 days or two weeks. And just amazing. But uh, I've had a lot of great experiences with Rick. Scott, I didn't hang out so much personally. Okay. Scott was always... Kind of doing his a own little thing. different, yeah. <laughs> I think that's, that's kind of like hanging around with a hand grenade. You know, eventually it's <laughs> eventually it's going to go bad. <laughs> uh, well, the, the list keeps on growing. I, I got to ask you about Vader, the, mm -hmm. one of the most dominant physical specimens our business has ever seen, and dare I say, a guy who changed the game physically speaking for larger athletes and really raised the bar. Yeah, no doubt. I mean. You can't argue when you, and you know, because of, you know, the nature of my podcast, Conrad Thompson and I, 83 weeks, we go back and we look at the history of sports entertainment and Nitro and WWE. Uh, we don't really talk about the current product sure. much. Um, but anytime we go back and we cover uh, a, a Nitro or a pay-per-view, primarily WCW, where Vader was in a main event, mm -hmm. I always get excited because you're going to go back and you're going to watch something that's 15, 20 or more years old, and you're going to see athleticism from a not just a big man, a very Behemoth. big man <laughs> that is so off the charts, even by today's standards, right. for someone that weighed 220 pounds. It's amazing to me. So I'm really glad that Vader's made it to the home. Yeah, when they did the the, uh, the the announcement of Vader's induction and just watching those the few minutes worth of clips of him doing moonsaults, and, and it, it was such a, a dichotomy. He could get up on the top rope and do a moonsault and conversely throw somebody into the fourth row of the crowd. It made it seem effortless, but there was a believability about Vader that came through the screen. And when I was growing up, I was terrified. When I saw him with the elephant helmet come out with yeah. the smoke in WCW, I was like, I don't know about this guy. I, I, I don't even know if Sting can stop this guy. Right. But I, I think it's very cool that he's finally getting his flowers, so to speak. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us here to, to, to live through it. So Vader will be taking his rightful place in the WWE Hall of Fame. I got to switch gears to another superstar that we recently lost, Scott Hall. Mm. Obviously a man who helped change the business alongside yourself, Kevin Nash, NWO, Hulk Hogan. What has, now that there have been a few weeks to process the loss of Scott, what has Scott meant to you in your personal life and your career? That's a big one. I kind of look at my life as a spider web in a way. Okay. One, one thing always leads to something else, which leads to something else, and it, it seemingly doesn't stop. Um, 
Scott Hall, you know, when he made his way down through the crowd on May 27th, 1996, I remember Dates the day well. Burned because into your memory. It's also my birthday. Oh, I, I didn't which realize is that. Why I'm thinking, and, and I was thinking about it a couple of days after I heard the news about Scott after he passed. And I'm thinking, you know, the best birthday present I ever got was the day that Scott Hall walked down through that crowd. I didn't know it at the time, but the best birthday present I've ever received was that night. Because that moment, that night he came down through the crowd and he cut that promo, changed my life forever. It changed my son's life forever. It changed my daughter's life forever. It changed my wife's life forever. My grandson is going to enjoy a life in the future that benefits from that very moment that Scott Hall came through that crowd. And I'll never, ever not appreciate that. That's wild to think of the magnitude that that moment had. When you put it like that, when you talk about the spider web and how everything's interconnected, if Scott Hall doesn't agree to come to WCW and then doesn't catch fire. That story never happens. It, it's, and it's hard to believe because it's such a massive part of sports entertainment history that you, you can't have discussions about how we got to where we are today without that piece of the puzzle. And looking back, we've all had our, our moments and, and reminisced about what Scott meant to us personally and what a mentor he was. But to hear it put the way you just did, I think, puts a whole different light on the magnitude of a, a true industry-changing moment. And Scott Hall was the first chip to fall into play. He was the catalyst. He was the first domino to fall in a series of dominoes that changed not only my life, but to your point, the industry. Because so, so much of what really became the Attitude Era was a direct reaction to what was going on with the NWL. Right. It changed things and in ways that we're still seeing today and enjoying today. And it, it started with Scott Hall deciding to come to WCW. Think about, I mean, I think about this all the time. When I, when I talk about being grateful, I'm... I really think through the things that I'm grateful for and, and make sure that I appreciate them the way I should. But Scott Hall never comes to WCW. That NWO storyline never happens. Hulk Hogan never turns heel. The Attitude Era may or may not have ever happened. None of us have a crystal ball, but I'm buying it. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's really, really wild. As much time. I think it's, it's, it's an example about just being so caught in the bubble and so close to it all the time. You have to take a step back and realize the magnitude of, of so many of these different So scenarios. many things. You know, the NWO was one, and Scott Hall certainly, you know, was one. But there's so many other big moments. And I think it's one of the things that makes me really appreciate WWE and the universe and the history and the legacy. Because had Vince McMahon not decided to exploit cable television at the time and in the manner in which he did... Who knows if you and I would be sitting here right that's, now? That's very valid. You're absolutely right. It's crazy to think about, but it's a it's a healthy, fun thing to think about it as well. Right, right. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. Stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. 
I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. When you look back on your career and all the contributions creatively or in front of the camera, behind the camera, obviously you get credited with the NWO and, and so much of the success of WCW. What are some of your favorite moments, Eric, as a man that you just had the most fun doing that you look fondly upon now that maybe don't, maybe moments that don't get the love and, and aren't in the, the general zeitgeist of the mm -hmm. wrestling community. There's a few and, and they're unique. Um, I think the first dollar of profit that WCW ever made. I had made a bet about eight months earlier with the head of Turner Finance. And I told him, his name was Harry Anderson. And I was in a meeting with Harry Anderson and Bill Shaw, who was my boss at the mm -hmm. time. And Harry Anderson was really concerned about WCW and our budgets and where we were going. And I bet Harry Anderson, I said, I bet you, Harry, that we will be profitable by the end of this year. And he shook his head in a good natured way. said, Eric, you know, I really appreciate your enthusiasm, but it's not going to happen. I said, I bet you, I'm going to bet you $1. And if I win, you're going to come to the Christmas party at the end of the year. And you're going to get on your knees in front of the WCW employees. And you're going to hand me that ceremonial first dollar. And we're taking pictures, Harry. And he laughed and he chuckled and Bill Shaw shook his head. He was embarrassed cut to that Christmas party in a little Mexican restaurant in downtown Atlanta at two o'clock in the afternoon, full of WCW employees and Harry Anderson, the head of Turner finance on his knees, handing me that dollar. <laughs> that was a pretty cool moment. That's excellent. And I think in, as a performer, being the minister in the Chuck and Billy wedding. Yeah. Undoubtedly the, the most fun thing I've ever done on camera. <laughs> So it's, it's a toss-up between the two. Depends on my mood. So, Eric, I, I know you, on your podcast, 83 Weeks, speak mostly about things that have occurred in the past, but you still keep your finger on the pulse of what's current today. A lot of superstars that speak out, I'm going to use Undertaker as an example because he's been in the, the internet media lately, mm -hmm. and anybody from the current generation or perhaps even the next generation seems to have that chip on their shoulder of, oh, well, that's, that's the old timers talking. But there's a lot of, val a lot of validity and, and earned experience and the right to, to impart that information. When you look across the landscape now, what are some things that you would love to see more of and see less of, not only in WWE, but across the business as a whole? without sounding like crotchety old man going back in my day, we used to do this because I know that's never the intention. Guys are trying to impart wisdom, but this day and age, you know, what's funny, Corey is I've heard that generational complaint since the day I came into the business when I was 31 years old, I was listening to Nick Bockwinkle and Vern Gagne complaining about the young stars that right. were coming through. Right. 
and how they'll never get it and they'll never draw a die. And conversely, simultaneously, the young stars are going, get out of my way. I know what I'm yeah, doing. I'm going to do it. It's the same story. Yeah. These old guys are just hanging on too <laughs> right. long. Get out These of the way. These young guys don't know. They don't really <laughs> understand the business. I've been hearing this argument. I've been in the industry or associated with it indirectly for a total of about 35 years. And I've been listening to the same story for exactly that long. <laughs> you know, and it, it, the same thing was true in WCW. But I think what happens is people lose sight of what works, what has always worked. What's the one thing about sports entertainment that has always captivated people? And it's really hard to pinpoint one thing because it's different for everybody. Right. But I think across the boards... It's the story. Mm -hmm. And I would love if there was a way in today's environment and the sheer volume of things that needed to be produced, there could be perhaps more emphasis on story and less emphasis on the dynamic physical presentation. I think what's happened with the industry over the years, the last 15 in particular, uh, maybe 20, is that the athleticism has I mean, it's reached a point of being mind-boggling. It really is. It, it's just, I see things today that I, I, it's like watching Olympic quality gymnasts do things that seem to defy physics. And now we're seeing it within the context of a wrestling match. It's mm -hmm. mind-boggling to me. But I think with the emphasis that's on the physical presentation, unintentionally, story and character have become de-emphasized. So I'd like to see that balance shift a little more than it currently is. But part of that is just me because I've always loved the story. I've never been as excited about the physical presentation as I have been about the story presentation. But I may be in the minority on that one. Well, I, I agree with you. I, I think the the emotion is what supersedes everything, I, I, or should be, from, from my perspective. But as we're having this conversation and we're talking about how people consume things differently— there are still television shows that have the slow burn, the slow build, and you have to get invested in that. I, Yellowstone comes to mind. I was going to say Yellowstone, 12 to 15 viewer, million viewers a week. You can't tell me good scripted, story-driven drama doesn't still work. Right, but you still have the ability to binge watch it or watch at your own leisure, but that story still works. And how? And this may be a, a, an impossible question to answer, but how could you find a happy medium where it's this business, it's this day and age where people want to consume things more quickly, but there's still that slow burn story. Where's the happy medium? Mix it up a little bit. You know, you've got a lot of hours of television. You yeah. don't have to produce every single match and every single story with the same type of pace. You can have a slow burn story that takes three months to evolve over the course of a quarter while you've got other shorter form stories that are developing underneath. Okay. Or vice versa. You can have your short form stories up on top if that's what's moving the needle and still have that slow burn underneath. So you're satisfying both audiences. You're giving them the fast paced, vis visually dynamic presentation that people seem to be used to because of the way we consume entertainment. But underneath, you can still have a couple key stories that are slow burns. There it is. That was that was what I was looking for. I, I wouldn't have been able to say that eloquently enough, but that makes a lot of sense to, to find find something in between because the desire is there. The fandom is there. It's just a matter of to look at the numbers now. Uh, financially, fantastic. But as far as actual people, I remember growing up when I, I got to be about high school age when the Monday Night Wars were happening. And you'd go into school and everybody had a Stone Cold shirt on. And this kid had an NWO shirt on. 
it's not like that anymore now. It's almost like when you come to WrestleMania week, everybody has that. But as far as just the, the average pop culture uh, phenomenon that it was during the Monday Night Wars, it seems like it's really dissipated a lot. It has, and it's hard to explain because the product is bigger now than it's ever been. Right. But it seems less connected to popular culture. I mean, I was in the Uber on the way to the airport the other day, and the guy says, oh, what are you, what are you heading to Texas for? Oh, I work for WWE. Oh, I used to watch that. I, you, you know Stone Cold? Do you know The Undertaker? And I wanted to go, well, yeah, they're actually both going to be here this weekend. <laughs> but it just, it just seems strange to me that there, there's a lot of what was a massive audience tend to go, oh, I used to be into that. Can we bring them back? No, but you could create new ones. Okay. You know what I mean? Because bringing, and you're probably talking about someone who's 50, 55 years old. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Outside of the demo, when mm-hmm. it comes to business, right? Nobody's targeting 55. Nobody's targeting me. I'm 60, I'll be 67 next month. Nobody's targeting me. They're targeting the 30-year-old, 35-year-old, 38-year-old, 18 to 49-year-old. That's the business model. You still want that older demographic. You still want that audience there, obviously. You don't dis- discount them completely but you have to create a new generation and i think you do that i still look this industry has always been driven by story and characters since the beginning of television time and even before that Mm -hmm. when professional wrestling was a part of a circus sideshow it was still a story Mm -hmm. as well as an exhibition i just think that much like you mentioned yellowstone you know kevin costner uh taylor sheridan tyler sheridan um, recreated the Western yeah, and, and are telling amazing stories. It can still be done. It really can. You just have to be creative. Think outside the box. And make a commitment to it because it's not, gonna, it's not going to change things overnight. You're not going to get an immediate return on that investment. It, it takes some time. It definitely, definitely. When you look across particularly the WWE landscape these days, what characters stand out to you? Uh, the most, or, or in there, are there any particular storylines that have captivated you? I know you don't pay, pay attention no, quite no, like you no, used I, to, but... I'll I tell you, Becky Lynch, there's something about Becky Lynch, and, and I remember, you know, I spent a minute as an executive in WWE, right, right. you know, with SmackDown, and before I even interviewed for that position, I was tracking Becky Lynch because of the way she used social media, mm-hmm. and there was something so authentic about Becky's social media and her character. They were one in the same. And I really started noticing how well she was using, you know, this is back in early 2019 now. Mm-hmm. This is before she really, you know, elevated to the point she is today. I go, man, this, she's got it. She understands how to tell that story in social media. Very few people do. Everybody uses social media, right. myself included. Very few people do it really, really well. And Becky did it. I became a fan of Becky Lynch because of her social media. And now that I've become a fan of her and her character, of all the athletes that I see, of all the performers that I see in WWE, she's the one I pay closest attention. It's really funny to hear you say that. Uh, Yesterday, or which in podcast time will be last week, I had the APA, JBL, and Ron Simmons. And JBL brought up the fact that social media has become a double-edged sword for talents because Mm -hmm. you can either utilize it to your point, like Becky has, that it has captivated you. But at the same time, it can really poke holes in what you're trying to do on screen just because 
we all have Twitter. We all have Instagram. And, and John used the, the example of, oh, I'm, I'm the bad guy. I just did this to your hero. I just broke his leg on national TV. Here's a Bible verse and a picture of me with my kids. Yep. It, and it's, it's kind of a fine line to walk, but you, you've just gave me a great example that Becky uses it well. Better than anybody I've seen. Better than anybody I've seen in WWE. She's as good at it as Paul Heyman is at promos. That's, and, and, I've, and I've been saying this, I've been on my own social media. I put her over so much because I, I, you know, I, I want other people to look at her and go, huh, I want to I do it kind of like she does it. You know, rather than just like you said. You know, you, you're, you're playing a certain character on television and then you, oh, but that's, you know, this is who I really am. <gasps> oh, I don't want to know that. It, it's, it's I want to believe in the character. Right, right. And it's such, it's so almost unique to this industry. Mm -hmm. Whereas an actor is an actor. So if Kevin Costner po posts a photo, you realize that's not John Dutton. That's Kevin Costner. Right. Our fans don't look at us as nope. putting on a, a Corey Graves is a character, the same as when Eric Bischoff was on SmackDown or a, you were a character, despite, you know, the real life responsibilities. Our industry doesn't have that disconnect. Nope. You are who you are 24 hours a day in the eyes of the fans. In the eyes of the fans. It's very strange. It is a strange phenomenon. And it makes, you know, this industry tougher because, for example, you know, you can... If you and I are producing a television series for Netflix or for NBC mm -hmm. or for Paramount, and it's a dramatic series, it's got a rating of TVMA or even TVPG, we can do things within the context of a scripted dramatic story that you could never do in right. WWE. Right. Why? Why is that? I don't know. It's unique to yeah, wrestling, right? It's yet. unique to this product, but it exists because and the answer, and it's a, it's a hard one to articulate, but the answer is because this audience believes in these characters more. So they, they, the expectation is different. The expectation when you watch a dramatic series is that every one of those people are actors and actresses and are not, none of this stuff is really happening, but sports entertainment does such a great job of blurring those lines that the audience believes that Corey yeah. Graves really is that character on TV. Well, I'm a terrible human being all the time. <laughs> well, make no you've mistake got about nothing that. on me, brother. <laughs> you've got nothing on me. <laughs> you think they hate you? <laughs> you should have been me in the 90s. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's one of those ones in hindsight. I'm like, oh, it would have been so much fun. But he heard from you. Like, no, no, that was. No, it was fun. But. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a story, Craig. I'm going to make it really fast. But there was a referee we had by the name of Pee Wee Anderson, Randy Anderson. Randy Anderson, sure. And Randy Anderson, in real life, had cancer. Mm -hmm. All right? But creatively, I went, okay. And Randy was cool with this, by the way. I said, I'm going to take – everybody knew. You know, a lot of the fans knew. You know, the dirt sheet community knew. You know, Randy Anderson has cancer. So I said, okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to talk to Randy about making that part of a storyline. And we were going to fire Randy Anderson from a storyline perspective. And Randy was cool with it. I said, okay, Randy, here's what I want to do. I want to bring you out on Nitro. You can see this on Peacock. It's mm -hmm. one of my greatest performances ever, except for the Chuck and Billy thing. So I called Randy Anderson out to the stage, and he brought his, his son and his daughter, who was like maybe five and seven, respectively. And Randy comes out, and he was kind of a puppy dog-looking dude to begin with. And I brought him out, because I had fired him the week before. 
on, on camera. So I brought him back out. Presumably, I was going to give him his job back. I was going to have second thoughts. So I, he comes out there, and he had that puppy dog look on his face, and he brings his two little kids out. I called him up to the stage. Scott Hall and Kevin Nash are up there with me. I said, Randy, you know, I had some time to think about it. It's been a week. I might have been a little quick on the draw. I know you're going through some stuff. and I really, really, I had to do some soul searching. And I looked down at his little kids, and I went, come here. His daughter's named Montana, same as my daughter. I said, Montana, come here. Tell your daddy. He's still fired! <laughs> <laughs> it was Awful. awesome. It was awesome. Now, here's the best part of that story. Not only was the performance superb, mind you, but the next day, this is on a Monday, right? Live show Monday. I get to my office Tuesday morning. I get a call from Harvey Schiller, my boss, president of Turner Sports. He says, Eric, come up to my office. I'm going, oh, wow, I'm in trouble. What did I do? I go up to his office. He says, uh, what happened last night? I said, we did Nitro last night. Same as we do every Monday night. Harvey, you should have come along. Yeah. You had a good time. <laughs> it's a hell of a show. <laughs> he said, no, you did something on the show. I said, well, we did a lot. It was two hours of just sheer chaos. He said, well, we HR has been getting phone calls all morning long from Randy Anderson's church, members of his oh, church, no. because they're appalled that you <sighs> fired somebody on national television who has cancer. <laughs> oh, man. He said, Harvey, you know what we do, right? <laughs> yeah. He goes, tell me that that's not really true. You didn't really. I said, Harvey, of course not. I didn't. <laughs> it was a storyline. But people within Turner Broadcasting, the parent company that I worked for thought that I actually fired wow. a guy on national television. Wow. So when you tell me you have eat, well, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have, yeah, I'm, I'm but a, but a minor annoyance. I set on off Twitter. fire that's, alarms everywhere that's I went. Fantastic. <laughs> well, we we're talking about that same, about how the, the fans don't have that disconnect. I was watching the WWE evil show that's on Peacock. Have you got mm -hmm. a chance to look at that? I yet? have not yet. I was looking for it last night. It's, I couldn't it's find fantastic. it. It's one of my favorite things we've produced in a while. And they actually do an episode on Roman reigns mm -hmm. and they cover how, when Roman was universal champion, his leukemia came back and he left and he just, I don't want to give it all away, but it, it covers the journey and how people almost expected, well, people care about this guy. Now they got to see Joe on screen. Our fans didn't, they, they were over Joe. They, okay. We don't want Joe. We want Roman Reigns and we don't like Roman Reigns. Never mind that in any other facet of life, that what he's doing is, is admirable and heroic and you would be going, okay. And they went, all right, great. He, he's okay now. Okay. We still hate you again. And it, it was <laughs> such a, and they, 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 they go really deep into it and they have some unbelievable interviews and sound bites, but that, that got me thinking about, wow, we are such a unique industry unto so ourselves where this just like Randy Anderson, this poor man actually took ill with a life-threatening situation. And once we know that the human being is okay, we're just right back to hating him. Never mind. There's no, there's no sort of crossover. Like, hey, this guy beat cancer. Let's celebrate. Like yep. we celebrate. We, oh, hey, we celebrated once. That was last week. Been there, nah. done that. Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Glad you're feeling better, Roman. Win a title. Right. <laughs> oh, well, I'm gonna ask before I let you go. I know that we got you got a busy weekend as everybody does. Uh, off the top of your head, mm -hmm. you are about to relaunch, uh, let's say, the NWO or some similar idea with three 
current oh, you're gonna, WWE you're gonna, you're superstars. You're going to do it to me, aren't you? I'm, I'm sure you, you're probably tired of answering this. So if you, if you have a no, go-to. No, but it's a hard one, brother. It's a hard one. I'd really have to take a close look. And part of it is, you know, the NWO work because of casting. It, yes. The, the magic that occurred between Scott and Kevin and Hulk mm-hmm. would be really tough to recreate. You'd have to find the three people that are not only powerful, great characters that can perform, but make each other better in the process. And Scott Hall, Scott Hall brought the vibe. Kevin Nash was close enough to Scott Hall that Kevin immediately latched onto that vibe. Mm -hmm. Hulk Hogan, man, he was a square peg in the round hole in that thing. Right. And Scott... And Kevin kind of laid the groundwork for the vibe of the NWO, and it took Hulk all of about two weeks to go, huh, okay, I see what they're doing. And he adapted to that. Scott Hall made Hulk Hogan in the NWO, the vibe. He really did. Completely agree. And I think Hulk would would, would attest to that as well. In fact, I think he did. Um, subsequent to Scott's passing, it would be hard to recreate that. Yeah. I'd have to really look hard to find that chemistry anywhere. So, so the chemistry was more important than just because they were names from WWE. It was oh. the, the three of them worked together so well in unison. It, and it was just, and it, it was coincidence. It was brother. a perfect storm. I, I, didn't have, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't sit back and go, oh, I'm going to bring in that Scott Hall because he's got this cool vibe and Nash will tag right in. And I'm pretty sure Hulk Hogan will learn to adapt. I didn't do, I wish I did. I'd sound really, really smart, right? <laughs> Vince will be coming back down to, God, we should have kept him on board. Jesus Christ, Bruce, call her. <laughs> but it wasn't that. It was just good luck. Good luck. I'm still curious to see how it would have worked out had uh, Mabel been the third man. Look. I know, right? <laughs> Dave Meltzer might have made me Booker of the Year. Oh, my God. Hey. My career trajectory would have changed forever. Hey, I was the worst announcer on television this year, and I'm still That's when you know so. you're doing a great job. When Dave Meltzer buries you, you are on the right track, brother. I'll take it. I'm, I'm going to follow in Eric's footsteps. So, Eric, I appreciate the time, man. I, I'm always, uh, you're always welcome here on After the Bell. I love chatting business with you. Uh, maybe one of these days when we don't have, you know, 45 shows in three days to get through. We'll do another we'll one. sit down and have a few proper beers. I got to come out to Wyoming, Montana, Wyoming. Wyoming. I need to come out to Wyoming. I, I yes, see you your, should. I see your photos on, on Twitter every morning of what you wake up to, and I just think to myself, okay, that's the goal. That's it the should goal be. Now. It's a good goal. That was You started the goal, and then getting lost in Yellowstone now has, has just strengthened that passion that I'm, you need to Despite come out, being brother. a city boy, I'm like, I someday somehow can be John Dutton. You and your bride, anytime you want, come out to Wyoming. I, I would suggest you do it in late summer, early fall. Don't come out in January. You'll be disillusioned. But I live in Pittsburgh, you know. <laughs> come <laughs> but, on now. But you, you come out anytime. We've got a big house. We've got a guest house. We've got all the property in the world. You're more than welcome to come out, and I'll show you guys a great time. I'm going to take you up on it. All Get right, those man. grills ready. All right. All right. You can follow us at After the Bell WWE on all of social media. You can follow Eric at E. Bischoff on Twitter. Anywhere else, Eric? Nah, that'll do it. Twitter does it. (laughs) (laughs) Vic will be back next week, maybe. Or maybe I can convince Eric to hang out for the next, you know, foreseeable future. I don't envision myself being that lucky. But we'll be back next week with more wisdom, more vitriol, and more WWE After the Bell. (laughs) 